Well, let's just open in prayer and then we'll come into think about the words of God here today. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to come here at New Beginnings. We thank you that this is a sanctuary of your Holy Spirit's presence. We declare the name of Jesus here. That Jesus is the name above all other names in heaven and earth and under the earth. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And every tongue confess that he is Lord. Father God, in this place, we declare the name of Jesus. We ask you to speak your words, not mine. And Father God, I just pray that your word, as it's declared, will do just as its purpose is to transform and save lives. We trust in you today, Lord God, and in your mighty power. In Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever felt that life is absurd? Look at the guy's face, I mean, in the picture here. My face has looked like that a few times. You might still be saying my face currently looks like that. Nicholas probably saying that. Have <laughs> you ever just been totally perplexed by life? Life is absurd. It's strange. It's odd. You know, weird. <laughs> um... And, uh, you know, sometimes life totally feels that way. Totally feels that way. And, and I had a wee look on the internet. It's amazing what you can find on the internet. You don't need to go to university sometimes. You don't need to study philosophy. You can type in a word like absurd in Google, and it'll come back and it'll tell you all about this thing called absurdism. And I had a wee look on Wikipedia, uh, a knowledge area on the internet, and this is what it said about a philosophy called absurdism. Uh, absurdism is a philosophy uh, stating that the efforts of humanity to find meaning of the universe ultimately fail and hence are absurd because no such meaning exists this originated from philosopher and writer Albert Camus so this is an outlook in life that philosophers have taken on board and studied and meditated on and there are very serious intellectual people in the world today, who believe this type of view, or similar type of view, that actually um, there is no meaning and purpose to life at all. And I'll go on from this, and it, it, it says that the main kind of goal of this whole teaching of, abs- of, of absurdism is that we need to actually, the only way out of this is to accept the absurd. And uh, according to this chemist, the only real solution is to accept or even embrace the absurdity of life and to continue living. The absurd is a crucial char- characteristic of the human condition and it is the only true way, way to deal with the, this and the only true way to deal with this is bold acceptance of it. Life, according to Camus, can be lived all the better if it has no meaning. I'll repeat that last statement. Life, according to Camus, can be lived all the better if it has no meaning. I then went on and looked at definitions of absurd. And uh, this is what came up. Inconsistent with reason or logic or common sense. Example, the, the absurd predicament. The second definition. A situation in which life seems irrational and meaningless. The absurd is the essential concept in the first truth, and this is actually quoting here. This man I just uh, was mentioning, this philosopher, it appears in the definition of the absurd. Now, I don't know about you, but I think this all sounds absurd. <coughs> Do you agree? Does anyone agree with me? 
I think they named it well. <laughs> I think the, the best name they could come up with this philosophy, for this philosophy is absurdism. Because to accept a concept that says life has no meaning and no reason or logic or common sense to me seems totally absurd. The good news for you. Life has meaning. Life has meaning. This is, this is a quote from Rick Warren. Uh, we've been going through recently, Alex has been taking us through The Purpose Driven Church, which is a book by Rick Warren. He has another book called The Purpose Driven Life, and I'd recommend reading that as well. It's very good. It applies those principles on a slightly different and more focused level in an individual Christian life, The Purpose Driven Life. It's a good book to read. But this is what uh, Rick Warren says. The most basic question everyone faces in life is, why am I here? What is my purpose? <coughs> Self-help books suggest that people should look within at their own desires and dreams, but the starting place must be with God and his eternal purposes for each life. Real meaning and significance comes from understanding and fulfilling God's purposes for putting us on earth. That term, life is meaning, I immediately went to Billy Graham in my head when I thought I heard that statement, life is meaning, because in 1991, there was, a, there was a campaign called Mission Scotland. I like that name. We should do another one. Uh, so anyone, anyone want to form a committee, I'm happy to join it. Uh, Mission Scotland came to Celtic Park in 1991. And I was there, and I brought one of my friends there, and he, he came to Christ at it. And many people brought their friends to the Billy Graham Crusade. And all Billy Graham did was they sang songs, and then he got up and he presented the simple message, life has meaning in Jesus Christ. And you know, thousands and thousands of people can testify that they went to one of those nights and they were saved. Or their parents were saved at it. And that was the slogan, life is meaning. And Billy Graham's been a great evangelist and somebody that we've all looked up to, somebody that's travelled the world with a simple and straightforward message. He's never said he's a great preacher, but he's always said he knows what the gospel is and he preaches it simply and with God's power. And thousands and millions of people have came to Christ as a result. Life has meaning as the message of the gospel. And, you know, Billy Graham is now suffering from Parkinson's disease. He's recently lost his wife. And it's, it's a big tragedy. They were so close. And a lovely Christian fa- family. And uh, Billy Graham's son, Franklin, now is now taking on the mantle. And the Billy Graham Association is still doing campaigns with Franklin heading up to speaking. And Billy Graham's not fit enough now to be speaking because of his Parkinson's and his ill health. But I found this story of uh, Billy Graham in the year 2000. It's called, uh, Do You Know Where You're Going? In January 2000, leaders in Charlotte, North Carolina, invited their favourite son, Billy Graham, to a luncheon in his honour. Billy initially hesitated to accept the invitation because he struggles with Parkinson's disease. But the Charlotte leader said, We don't expect a major address. Just come and let us honour you. So he agreed. After wonderful things were said about him, Dr. Graham stepped to the rostrum, looked at the crowd and said, I'm reminded today of Albert Einstein, the great physicist who this month has been honoured by Time magazine as the man of the century. Einstein was once travelling from Princeton on a train when the conductor came down the aisle, punching the tickets of every passenger. When he came to Einstein, Einstein reached in his vest pocket, but he couldn't find his ticket. So he reached into his other pocket, it wasn't there. So he looked in his briefcase, but he couldn't find it. Then he looked at the seat behind him, he could not find it. 
the conductor said, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. We all know who you are. I'm sure you bought a ticket. Don't worry about it. Einstein nodded appreciatively. The conductor continued down the aisle punching tickets. As he was ready to move to the next car, he turned around and saw the great physicist down on his hands and knees, looking under the seat for his ticket. The conductor rushed back and said, Dr. Einstein, Dr. Einstein, don't worry. I know who you are. No problem. You don't need a ticket. I'm sure you bought one. Einstein looked at him and said, Young man, I too know who I am. What I don't know is where I'm going. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Dr. Einstein has a problem. Having said that, Billy Graham continued, See the suit I'm wearing? It's a brand new suit. My wife, my children and my grandchildren are telling me I've gotten a little slovenly in my old age. I used to be a bit more fastidious. So I went out and bought a new suit for this luncheon and for one more occasion. You know what that occasion is? This is the suit in which I'll be buried. But when you hear I'm dead, I don't want you to immediately remember the suit I'm wearing. I want you to remember this. I not only know who I am, I also know where I'm going. What a story, eh? I not only know who I am, I know where I'm going. You know, Billy Graham knows for certain where he's going, doesn't he? So we've been looking at the Apostle Paul and some of his statements, and we're going to continue on that today in the, the book of Philippians. But in verse uh, chapter 1, verse, 20, uh, verse 21 of Philippians there, Paul says, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And you know, you think about Billy Graham there in that situation, he served God all of his life. He said meaning and purpose in his life, but as he approaches the end of his life, he still has purpose. Because for, you know, and we'll see this as we'll go through this today, but just think of Billy Graham in your mind. Achieved a lot, done a lot, now frail, ill health. He says, I know where I'm going. Just like Paul, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. This sense of looking forward to death even as having a purpose. Because you're going to be with the Lord. You're going to serve him eternally and be in his presence. So this is a series called There is Hope and uh, I'll go over a little bit what we spoke about last week. This week is part two, the power of purpose. Now just a wee recap for those of you that weren't here last week, a reminder of what we did. Chip Ingram has this statement which he calls the divine equation of life. Circumstances plus perspective equals experience. You know, we've no control whatsoever over our circumstances and the things that happen to us in life. But we've got total control over our perspective. He also says this, Living above my circumstances occurs when my perspective interprets my circumstances rather than my circumstances determining my perspective. It's all to do with focus. And last week was the power of focus. You know, we can all be good through these different circumstances, but the question we need to ask in every circumstance is, where is our focus? And last week I asked you just to think of the one thing in your life when, when the dust settles and when your mind settles down what's the one thing your mind focuses on the thing that troubles you, the thing that bothers you the big hurdle in your life where is your focus in the midst of your circumstances <clears throat> I 
Paul's focus in his situation, as we're going to find out a little bit more about here again this week, in Philippians chapter 1, he maintained thankfulness, he maintained prayerfulness with joy, and he was confident. And we saw last week that Paul had an upward focus, he was focused on Christ, he knew what his goal was, he knew where he was headed, he knew whom he served. And he was always looking upwards. And obviously your feelings follow your focus. If we wait for our feelings to determine our actions, then we'll be waiting a long time to get out of bed in the morning. We'll be waiting a long time to get up and get studying. We'll be waiting a long time to go to our work. Because our feelings would tell us, stay in bed, don't work. And take it easy. <laughs> and Joyce Meyer, I had a wee quote from Joyce Meyer. She says, don't let your feelings be a god to you. And we just spoke about, you need to focus. And your feelings will catch up later, won't they? We'll catch up later. But Paul as well is an upward focus, not determined by his feelings, he just focused, determined. He had an outward focus on the world and on the church. He was able in the midst of his difficult and seemingly impossible situation to look outward to the needs of others, to pray for them, to enjoy fellowship through suffering and relying in God's strength. So circumstances plus perspective, upward, outward, equals experience. And we saw there that Paul's experience and the, what should be the Christian experience is this, an overflow of love, both to God and to each other, an ever-increasing knowledge and understanding of, of him and his purposes and who, what he has for us, and an outworking in our lives of purity and fruit, good things coming out, good changes in our life. So this week we're looking at the power of purpose. And I looked up this definition and it came back with a little bit better results than absurd. Uh, purpose definition is this. An anticipated outcome that is intended or that guides your planned actions. For example, his intent was to provide a new translation. Secondly, what something is used for, you know, a thing has a purpose. The function of an auger is to bore holes. I've never heard of an auger, have you? Yeah. Is that how you pronounce it? Okay, good, there you go. You learn something new every day. The purpose of something, what it's used for. And thirdly, the quality of being determined to do or achieve something. For example, his determination showed in his every movement. Purpose. What is your purpose? That's the question for today. If you were to write down on a sheet of paper in front of you the purpose of your life, what would you write down? Just to, as, you, as you think about that, as we, as we look at examining this question today, we'll look back at the life of the Apostle Paul. And I'll suggest to you, he's got three facets to his purpose that he's demonstrated in his life. Paul's purpose was to know and serve Christ, to advance the good news, and to encourage the believers. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 1. And if you've got a church Bible... If you want a Bible, there's some at the back. It's page 985 in the Church Bibles. Philippians chapter 1. Verses will always be, also be on the screen if you want them there. Starting in verse 12. <clears throat> Paul says, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. Just a little bit of background to this situation again here. How did Paul end up 
in chains in the Roman prison. Well, while he was visiting Jerusalem, some Jews arrested him for preaching the good news. But Paul appealed to Caesar to hear his case. Then he was escorted by soldiers to Rome. That's a nice wee term for being arrested, isn't it? I'll just escort you to Rome. Uh, <laughs> sure it wasn't quite as pleasant as that. Where he was placed under house arrest in Rome while awaiting trial. And you can find a brief record uh, of Paul's time in Rome in Acts 28 verses 11 to 31. We'll not look at it just now. But you can count some of the stories, some of the track of what actually happened. Quite a fascinating story in Acts 28 there. But here Paul finds himself uh, in prison. And in verse uh, 13 we see there's a mention of the palace guard. And the palace guard were the Praetorian guard. They were the Roman soldiers and they were like the the crack troops, you know. Don't know what the equivalent would be today, the MI5 or top men, FBI. And they, they were they were the elite troops in the Emperor's temple. And uh, what I want you to notice here is that in this circumstance of Paul being in jail and being uh, escorted to Rome and under guard, the good news was spreading to people who normally could never be reached. These were the best of the best. These were the emperor's best men. Nobody messed with them. Probably if you saw them, you would have about three seconds to live, normally. Uh, you wouldn't often have the opportunity to sit down and chat to them, I don't think. But here's Paul, under personal guard of the best, most elite troops in the country. And an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. No doubt when Paul was singing, praising God in the midst of being chained, they'll say, what? Why are you singing? And they'll say, wait till I tell you about Jesus and here's all these people here the elite, the best, the unreachable being reached with the good news of the gospel and do you know how we act in circumstances like this will reflect what we believe you know if Paul didn't really believe that God was God was working in these circumstances he wouldn't behave very well would he he wouldn't behave very well and if he didn't behave very well would anyone believe him when he told him about Jesus would anyone see anything in them that would make them want to reach out and say, that's really good news that you've got to share to me because that's changed your life? You know, I know if I was in that situation, uh, I don't think I would have been quite so enthusiastic as Paul was. I would hope to be there one day, and I believe, you know, that's an encouragement about Paul, is it was a process with him. God changed them, transformed them, and then by the time he's in this jail here, he's able to... He's able to be persevering. He's able to be uh, encouraged even in the midst of these circumstances. You can see in verse 12, this is another translation. It says, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. We see in verse 12 the key purpose in Paul's life, the advancement or progress of the good news. Paul understood that his own personal circumstances were of secondary importance. In fact, if his own personal circumstances had had to be bad in order for the good news to spread, then he would look positively on that. So, let's, let's think about that. Your own personal circumstances, if they had to be bad in order for the gospel to progress, would you be happy about that? Paul was. Paul was willing to accept bad personal circumstances in order for the good news to spread. For Paul, there was no meaning greater in life 
than to know Jesus Christ and to proclaim his message, the good news. This is what he says later on in Philippians, chapter 3, verse 8. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ. You see his focus there? That's why we were singing that hymn, Knowing You, Jesus. Knowing You. There is no greater thing. That was where his focus was. And that focus determined his, his, his purpose in the situation. If you look at verse 14, it says this, And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers have here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. So here we can see that in the midst of Paul's difficult circumstances, other believers gain new confidence and boldness in speaking God's message. This fits with Paul's purpose, doesn't it, in two ways. Firstly, the good news was being proclaimed, and also the believers were being encouraged. So Paul encouraged other people in the midst of these circumstances. He was driven by his purpose. Let's look at verses 15 to 18. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know that I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as to preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice. This is an interesting situation. Paul is in prison after establishing the church in Philippi and many other churches. Yet he hears that some preachers are trying to take advantage of Paul's circumstances for their own gain. Verse 15, some pretty scathing statements here about those preachers. Verse 15, they're preaching out of jealousy and rivalry. Not a motivation to preach, is it? How hard it must have been for Paul to hear the preachers in the churches did not have pure motives. Yet he says, he says in verse 18, have a look at verse 18. But that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. Is that what you would say? Is that what I would say? But I think as he looked forward into the purpose of it, he saw ultimately Christ was being preached. Either way, the message of Christ is being preached. Have you ever found yourself in circumstances that are just not fair? I mean, you've done your best to do things right. Tried hard to be a good example. And to work hard. Yet you find yourself in circumstances that don't seem to be at all fair. In fact, other people seem to be getting on better than you. They seem to be having more success. And some are even criticising you. It would be understandable if Paul felt this situation was unfair. He had given himself to serving Christ, proclaiming the good news and encouraging the believers, yet his circumstances seemed to go from bad to worse. 
You know, he was actually shipwrecked on the way to going to prison in Rome. So as they escorted him to Rome, he was shipwrecked for three months in the winter. Paul had a lot going against him. Bad to worse, bad to worse. Have a look through Acts. When we studied it in the church on a Wednesday night, it was like a better storyline than you could find in any movie. Uh, and it was all true, of course, this story. And, uh, you know, bad to worse is an understatement for Paul's circumstances. Shipwrecked more than once. Shipwrecked on the way to going to prison in Rome where he didn't know where his future lay. And then when he gets there, he finds out people who are supposed to be Christians and the churches are actually talking against them and preaching for the wrong motives yet he says the message about Christ is being preached either way so I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice questions for us here today do you have difficulty accepting your circumstances in life do you resent where God has placed you and what is your purpose you know, circumstances can be can be very hard to accept. But I believe Paul came to accept these circumstances there and he's a model for us. In situations that are certainly far worse than any I'm in, and probably that you're in, Paul could accept the circumstances God had placed them in. Sometimes we're not where God wants us to be, uh, where we want to be. And uh, we feel God has something better for us and some other place for us and something that's in our heart, a burning ambition or something we want to do. Paul didn't want to be in prison. Paul didn't want to be shipwrecked. I'm sure Paul didn't want to be uh, have violence against him and be beaten. You know, sometimes we, we run ahead of God and we don't trust him in the circumstances we're in and the place he has for us right now, doing the thing he has for us right now. I've got passions and desires in my heart that I believe I'm hoping for in the future. They're not here now. But we trust God that he has us where we are right now, doing what we're doing right now, and the job he has us in right now for a purpose. The circumstances he's placed us in, the place we live in, God is there for a purpose. God puts us in a place to serve. Whether it's an actual prison, or a place that feels like one. You know, sometimes the place you're in feels like a prison. It might be a job situation. It might be a home situation. It might be friends. It might be the town you're in. It might be the house you're in. It might be other, any other circumstances in life. It might feel like a prison to you. But it's a place to serve. It's a place to serve. So our purpose should be the same as Paul in any circumstance in life. To know and serve Christ. To know and serve Christ. To advance the good news. And to encourage the believers. These are three statements that every believer in Christ should be able to say. I am a servant of the living God. I am an ambassador or messenger of the good news. I am called to encourage God's people to help them grow to full maturity in Christ. Isn't that good? You know, so maybe you feel as if, what's my purpose in life? You know, I'm working here and I don't feel like I'm fulfilling God's purpose. Well, do you know, you're a servant of the living God right there. 
you're right there, you're an ambassador. An ambassador. That, do you know that's a position of responsibility? A bearer of the good news. An ambassador to a nation as a person of a high position. Somebody who represents the nation. Wherever we are, we would represent Christ. And if we struggle to find value in the place we work, there's a value. I'm an ambassador of the good news where God's placed me in my work. I'm a servant of the living God. Your boss might mistreat you, but God doesn't. You might experience suffering in your workplace or in other situations in your life that you're in. God can give you the strength. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. A servant of the living God, an ambassador. You know, it's an awesome privilege. Jesus has entrusted each one of us as believers to share the good news, to be ambassadors for him. You know, if you feel that you don't have a lot of value, I've experienced that in my own life, and uh, the greatest value we can we can get is to look at what, what Jesus thinks of us. He loves us intensely, no matter what. But he gives us these positions, and he says, you're my ambassador. You're my messenger. I'm calling you to a purpose. And that purpose includes others. And the third one, we're called to encourage each other. Purpose. To help each other grow to full maturity. That's the church. Helping one another. Encouraging one another. You know, the church shouldn't be a place with false motives. It shouldn't be a place with jealousy, where jealousy or rivalry is. People trying to get ahead of the next person. That's the world, isn't it? That's the world without Christ. The world with Christ is encourage one another. Strengthen one another until we all get to where we should be. Full maturity in Christ. That's the beauty of the church, isn't it? So just back to this this statement again. Living above my circumstances occurs with my perspective. And you could replace that with purpose. Interprets my circumstances rather than my circumstances determining my perspective. see that there's hope um, I just want to encourage us today you know sometimes it feels in life that it's just one thing after another you know one thing after another what's next what's next and it just seems like one difficulty one difficult circumstance one problem after another after another after another but you know what I believe God said to us as a church in Middlesbrough there's hope and there's a future and there's a purpose to all of this. And you can be happy. You can be joyful in the midst of the difficulties. And you know, as a church, as we faced many, many obstacles since we came here. And God has, God has been good to us. And God's been faithful. And uh, we've got a wee situation coming up this week. And I'd ask you to pray for it. Uh, with the buying of the building. And what all seemed to be in place isn't in place. And... We have until Friday to sort out details of that. It's not the best circumstances in the world. It's not exactly what we planned for. But we're going to pray and we're going to hope that God's got a plan and he's going to be able to work it out. Because we can't let our circumstances determine our perspective. God's in control. He is our hope. He is our strength. Amen.
So be, be encouraged today. I'm encouraged by this. That was a wee series there. Part one, the power of focus. An upward focus, an outward focus. The power of purpose. And later on in the summer I'll continue with that series and we'll continue in Philippians to look at the message there. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this message today. We thank you for a message of hope. We thank you, Father God, your word says you have plans for us to give us a hope and a future. We thank you that our ultimate future is with you in heaven. We thank you, Lord God, that you can say with Philippians, I know who I am and I know where I'm going. Father God, we thank you, not only for knowing where we're going, but you give us a purpose here right now for this life. We thank you, Lord God, that you give us a mission. You call us to serve you, to be an ambassador of the good news, to encourage other believers and help them grow. Thank you, Lord, for your good purposes for us. And we just acknowledge to you the difficulties we're in right now, the situations, you know every single detail. And Father, we just ask today that you take our circumstances and we just lay them at your feet. And we ask you, Lord God, to help us to focus on you. Help us to look upward to you. Help us to look outward to the folks round about us in the midst of the circumstance. Help us to trust you. And Father, I pray if there's any here that is not sure if they're a Christian, that you would speak to them today. Just help them to say, yes, Lord, I believe in you. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you dealt with all my failures on the cross and you asked me to turn from my sins and say, sorry, Lord, I ask you to forgive me. And I ask you to send your Holy Spirit into my life. And at the moment we do that, you give us an eternal purpose eternal hope you seal us in the Holy Spirit and you say you're my child I have a plan for you a hope and a future both now and when I come again so Father I just pray you'd increase our faith, you would encourage us just settle us in the midst of give us peace in the midst of difficult circumstances, help us to focus on you and your word In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.